Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. I am right now standing in the pool of Bethesda. Just to my left, uh, not too far, is the Temple Mount. And I'm in the old city of Jerusalem. And I'm going to read a story that happened here in the pool of Bethesda. It's John 5, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Well, good morning. Welcome. Yeah, there you go. Hey, uh, how many how many people shoveled more than three times this week? Anybody shovel? Yeah, that was crazy. I am happy that's over. However, they say it might snow again tomorrow, so we'll see. Hey, uh, let me welcome those of you who are watching on church307.com to our friends over at the prison and our friends at the jail. Uh, we are in a series right now called Jesus Period, where we're walking through the life of Jesus and just focusing on him. What was his priorities? What did he care about? What did he teach about? Uh, the story we're talking about today is one of Jesus's miracles. It's a healing at the Pool of Bethesda. And if you've been around for a while, you're thinking, wait, didn't you just preach on that six months ago? I'm sure that you all pay that close attention that you know that. Yes, I just preached on this uh, story six months ago. However, then I went to Israel and I learned a bunch of stuff that I didn't know until I went to Israel. And so I'd like to kind of, I want to go deeper. I want to talk more about what I've learned from this story uh, uh, recently. One of the things that I learned was about this church that is standing right by the pool of Bethesda. So this down here at the bottom of the picture is part of the pool of Bethesda. And this is a big church uh, that the Catholics have built right by the pool. And it is called the Church of St. Anne. Anybody know who St. Anne is? Mary's mother, I am impressed. Nobody in first service got it, so uh, you win. Uh, Anne is Mary's mother, and so they have built a church there by the pool of Bethesda. And uh, why do you think they built a church there called Church of St. Anne? Because this is where she lived. This was her area. So this is kind of Jesus's relatives live right here by the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda. So when Jesus is interacting with this pool, there is a good chance that the reason he is down by the pool is because he is visiting his grandparents. So here's the lesson for today. Good things happen 
when you visit your grandparents, right? We got any grandparents in here who want to say amen? Any? Yes? Uh, grandparents, you can write your tithe check to Mike Wilson. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, I, I do believe good things happen when you visit your grandparents, but that's not actually why I'm saying this. I think it's valuable for us to remember that Jesus lived a real human life with a real human family, with relatives, and all the pains and, and frustrations and that, temptations that go along with living a real life, I think it's helpful for us to remind ourselves that Jesus did real things, like visit his grandparents, like visit Grandma Anne by the pool of Bethesda. But that's not the only reason why Jesus was there that day. Scripture tells us that afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem. Why? For one of the Jewish holy days. So Jesus, all throughout his life, would travel to Jerusalem, not just to visit his relatives, but also for all the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. And when I preached this six months ago, I focused on the significance of the pool and, and how when archaeologists discovered it and uh, it was so important and the history of it and where it came from and what it means and why it's there and all that stuff. So we're not going to dive deep into that today. What I want to talk about today is the conversation that Jesus had with this sick man who was by the pool. Who said what and what, what happened in this interaction? So let's talk about this man. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. So it doesn't say that he had been lying on the pool by the pool for 38 years, but he had been sick for 38 years. And based on what we know about life expectancy of that time, this guy had probably been sick for his entire life life. And I'm, I'm pretty sure because 38 years old in Jesus day was really old because their life expectancy was very young. Jesus, when he died, would have been an old man to, in, in their society. This guy is 38. He is ancient, right? I'm 38 years old. So feeling a little insecure approaching 40. But this old man lying by the pool, sick for 38 years, this is all he knows. This is his life. He has lived his entire life with whatever ailment he has or whatever, however crippled or whatever problem he has, he has dealt with it his entire life. And he's kind of just gotten used to it, right? That's what you would, would assume. Well, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? And this is the question that I really want to focus on today. Most of us spend quite a bit of time, okay, all of us spend quite a bit of time thinking about the things in our lives that we would like to change, that we would like to have different. I, I'm overweight. I'm poor. I'm depressed. I'm lonely. I'm single. I'm childless. Whatever it is in your life that you think about, you're like, if I could just have this one thing change in my life, I would be better. 
Everything would be okay. Everybody's got that, at least one of those. You probably got a whole list, right? Well, the unique thing about the things that I've just listed is that actually scripture gives us advice about how to change all those things. I mean, if your problem is that you're overweight or that you're poor or whatever it is, there's something you can do about those situations, some quite practical things. So then when we recognize our problem, when we recognize our issue, we ask ourselves the same question Jesus asked this guy. Would I actually like to get well? Because that's going to require something, right? Yeah, I don't want to be stressed anymore, but I'm really into that Netflix show. So time management, stress, it's just, it's hard to give up, right? Yeah, I, I don't want to be addicted anymore, but I also don't want to be a quitter. So I got to, I got to pick my battle here. I, I got to decide, am, am I, do I actually want to change? So Jesus asked this guy, are you happy? Are you comfortable? Do you like this lifestyle? And what did he do? What does the guy do? He gave an excuse. He says, I can't, sir. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. So they believed the water would bubble up. First person into the pool would be healed. Someone else always gets in there ahead of me. I can't be the first one in when the water bubbles up because, well, I'm an old man. And some young guy gets in before me. And I'm not sure this man was entirely open to the possibility of being healed by Jesus because he had one idea of how his life was going to go and he had set his attention on getting into the pool so that he could be healed by the pool. This was the whole idea. This was the whole plan and I've developed a bunch of friendships around this pool and, and these are my, this is my community and this is just this beggar lifestyle is what we do. And Jesus's way was different. It seems to me that this guy could have done something about his situation, right? I mean, I think about it logically. Okay, you're 38 years old, and so if you're standing, okay, that's the pool over there, and, and I'm this far away from the pool, a young guy can beat me into the pool. So what can I do to solve my problem? Get closer to the pool, and the water bubbles up. Boom, I'm right here. All I got to do, okay, maybe he can't squat. Maybe he's too paralyzed for that. So just right, get right by it. Your one hand right there by the water. I'm ready to get in. He's like, no, I can't hold that position that long. I'm, I'm an old man. Okay, lay by the pool. As soon as all you got to do is get your center, your, your balance like this. Water bubbles, boom, get in. How easy. That, that's that's my prescription for, okay, I'm an old man. That hurt my knees. That's my prescription for your problem, old man. Just get closer. It's easy, right? And this is what we do. We, we look at other people's problems and we say, what are you doing? It's easy. Just, okay, you're overweight. Quit eating so much. It's easy. Okay, you're single. Go on dates. It's easy. This is, how we, this is how we look at other people's problems. But when we think about it on my end, I'm too busy. 
well, then you should probably quit putting your kids in every single sport that ever existed. No, I can't give that up. That's our life. That's who we are. That's our identity. When it's my problem, the, the solution to overcome the problem isn't so easy. Why? Well, if, if I didn't struggle with the solution, then I wouldn't have the problem. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm, I'm torn between two desires. I, I, want to over, I don't want to have the problem, but I also don't want to give up what's causing the problem. And we all make an excuse. This is what we do all throughout life. You would not have a problem if you never made excuses. But you make excuses all the time. I make excuses. I am overweight because of me. It's easy to blame my parents and their genes and all that stuff. I am overweight because of me. There are solutions to this problem. So I ask myself the question, what's my excuse? What is it that is standing between me and change? What is it that's standing between me and being healed? Well, I, I believe that God heals marriages, but I'm just done with mine. I don't want him to heal mine. I don't want it fixed. I don't want, I don't want my marriage to be better. I want out. That's what I want. I, I'm kind of happy that she cheated on me so that I have an excuse to get a divorce. I make excuses. I believe that God heals addictions, and I believe that his instructions for people who have addictions are good, but I kind of like my addiction. I enjoy it. I'm addicted to it for a reason. It's fun. I'm addicted to it for a reason. I, it makes me feel good. So I make an excuse. I can't give that up. I'd be losing too much to give that up. Yeah, I don't want to be addicted. I don't want to have the negative, but I really want the positive. I, I, okay, I believe in tithing. Yes, the Bible says that, that we should tithe and, and that he will bless us if we do that, but not me. I'm different. My situation is different. You know, if, if you understood the bigger picture of why it, everybody else should, but I am unique. I'm different. This is what all of us do. We make excuses. The New Living Translation that we just read says one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years, but the Greek word athnesia is actually the word sick there. The, the, we, we translate it to sickness or weakness, but what it actually means, I think the most accurate way of saying it is weak. This man had been weak for 38 years. So we assume that he's some kind of, it, it, he's paralyzed because he's talking about not being able to move quickly, but this guy just had some kind of physical weakness. But this same word can also be applied to an emotional weakness. This same word can be applied to a relational weakness or to a mental illness. He's just talking about being weak. So the question is, what is your weakness? Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's a habit that you have. Eating too much. Spending too much money. Maybe it's a drug addiction. Maybe it's depression or anger. What's your weakness? Or what are your weaknesses? 
because the reality is, you, you, I'm, I'm asking you specifically because it's easy for us to say, well, I know this guy, he's got this problem. I'm not asking about this guy, I'm asking about you. Bring it to mind, think about it. And if you can't think about it, ask your wife, she'll tell you very quickly. In fact, she'll give you a list for your life groups this week. <laughs> you all need to ask your wife. Just kidding. So what's your weakness? Think about it. And then ask yourself, what is scripture? What does God tell me that I should do with this weakness? We haven't talked about anything yet that scripture does not give very clear instructions for. What should I do about this weakness? Well, Jesus gave a prescription for this guy who was laying on the mat. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. This guy is looking to the pool for healing. He, you know, he has, he's not looking to Jesus yet. And Jesus didn't just say, you're healed, boom. Jesus gave him some instructions. And Jesus did this almost every single time. Just look at all the stories of Jesus healing people. Almost every single time Jesus gave instructions. He'd say, go down to the river and dunk in the river. He, he said, do this and you will be healed. Why would he do this? It, it's not the standing up. It's not picking up your mat that heals the guy. I think Jesus was trying to communicate something, right? And he does this on the Sabbath day, no less. So he's asking this guy, not only do I want you to use muscles you've never used before in your life, but also I want you to break a law to do it. For this guy to stand up and pick up his mat, he is commanding this guy to break the law. I want to see some action. I want to see some movement. So why did Jesus tell this guy to pick up his bed? I think there are a couple reasons. These are my guesses. I think he wanted to test this guy's readiness to change. Do you really want to get well? Because this, this guy, to be healed means a total life change. This guy's identity is in his mat. This guy's ailment has become his identity. He is the crippled guy who lays by the pool. That is who he is. And to be healed means my identity will change. So to pick up the mat is to say, I'm done with that life. So for whatever it is with you, it's, I'm done with depression. I'm done with poverty. I'm done with anger. It's time to move on. I'm ready for a new identity. And yes, it will take some effort. It's not going to be just a, I'd made a decision, boom, it all happened. It's going to take some pain. It's not going to be easy, but it will be good. It will be worth it. And what's the second reason? I think it's to break the law. I think Jesus was intentionally trying to break a law here. And Jesus has never sinned. Jesus never sinned. 
but he did break some laws. In fact, quite often he broke some laws. I think it's important for us to sometimes decide, you know what? I'm not going to just go along with the status quo. I know this is what's acceptable in our culture, but I'm not okay with it. I don't believe it's biblical. I don't believe it's okay. So I'm going to intentionally break that law. Is that going to require some sacrifice? Yep. When I was in Israel in our hotel, this sky rise, this high rise uh, hotel, I saw over in the corner of the lobby, there was a separate elevator from all the main elevators. And beside it, it said Sabbath or Shabbat, Shabbat elevator. And I walked over there and I asked the person at the desk, what is that? And he said, that's the Sabbath elevator. That if it's on the Sabbath and you're Jewish, then you can use the Sabbath elevator. I said, what's different about it? He said, there's no button. You don't have to push the button because pushing the button on the Sabbath would be working. And the law is we can't work on the Sabbath. How legalistic can you get? And they take pride, like a tremendous amount of pride in their culture and how legalistic they are. How to the letter of the law, they follow every law that they've created for themselves. Notice they say they've created for themselves, not God has created for them. I didn't read anywhere in the Jewish scriptures that they can't push a button on the Sabbath. This is a law that they've created for themselves and they feel good about themselves by following it. And they, let me tell you, they love Alexa over there because that allows them to do a lot of things without working. Like the more voice automation we can get in our world, the easier we can do and still follow the Sabbath law. Why? Because they have gotten so caught up in, if I can one by one check off every law and say that I followed them, then I can show how good I am. And their pride builds. The more laws they can follow, yet still have the more comfort in their lives. They're, so you say, what, what's the, how does the elevator work if you can't push the button? Here's how it works. You walk up to the elevator and you wait a long time. Until finally the door opens and you get in and you wonder, why did the elevator take so long to get to me? And then you go to the first floor and the door opens and the door closes. And then you go to the second floor and the door opens. And all day long, this door will just go to every single floor so that nobody ever has to push a button because they don't want to work on the Sabbath. Where do they take all this from? They take all of this from a gift that God gave to them and said, hey, listen, after you work really hard, I want to give you some rest. God wants to give them a blessing. God wants to give them a gift and they turn it into a law. And what is the purpose of the law? To show how good they are, to show how moral they are, how upstanding and how they deserve something. And Jesus says, uh-uh. That is not the point of the laws that I gave you. That is not the point of the gift of the Sabbath. So he intentionally broke the law and he wanted this guy. If you're ready to identify with me, if you're ready to change your identity, I want you to change your identity from a person that tries to earn the goodness themselves. Instead, they look to me for their goodness. That's a law worth breaking, Jesus says. Well, the Jewish leaders didn't like this. They objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work. You can't pick up your mat on the Sabbath. 
The Sabbath was a good rule. It was a gift to the Israelite people. For six days, you should work. We, sometimes we forget that part. We're like, I like the Sabbath rule. Let's do the resting thing. No, the Sabbath law is six days of work and then one day of rest. If you, if you just try to do the one day of rest over and over again, then you're forgetting the whole first part of the command. Work, rest, work, rest. And I think this is something that we should adopt in our lives. This is wise advice. This would be a good gift to you if you built some good Sabbath routines into your life. And so why did Jesus heal this guy on the Sabbath instead of just, just go eat grandma's soup and then rest and then come back? No, he did it right there intentionally at this time. Because sometimes we need to break some rules on purpose. When I was a kid growing up in the church, we had all kinds of rules. I mean, don't run in the church. Don't stand on the altar. Everybody means something different when they mean altar. Our altar was this little prayer thing that you would kneel on. And then there was this kneeling pad and we couldn't walk. We couldn't put our feet on the kneeling pad. You had to put your knees on the kneeling pad. That was a rule. Don't. There, there, was, there was rules like uh, don't wear your hat in God's house, we would say, or in the sanctuary. They would, they would say, Mike, don't eat all the communion bread. Okay, that was a good, I always wanted to eat all the com- communion bread. But what had happened over time is we taught my generation and younger people that you should act one way in this building and you should act a different way outside of this building. You wear different clothes here than you wear out there. You, you say different words here than you say out there because this is God's house. To which Jesus would say, no, it's not. I destroyed the temple. Why do you keep wanting to rebuild it? This is not a sanctuary. What a horrible word to describe or to use to describe this building. We are the sanctuary. We are the temple. This is Jesus' message to us. I'm destroying the temple so that you know the Holy Spirit doesn't live there anymore. It lives in you. God lives in you. You are the temple. So wherever you go, if your rule is don't run in the church, then you better be obeying that rule everywhere you go. Because you are the church. Because you are the temple. Because you are the sanctuary. So I've quit using the word sanctuary in this room, and I've started calling it an auditorium just purely to break a rule. Why? Because I think it's a good lesson for us to remember. It's a good lesson for us to learn that this is not the sanctuary. We are the sanctuary. So Jesus heals this guy, and then afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, this is before the temple was destroyed. He finds him in the temple and he tells him, now you are well. By the way, I just want to note, this guy is not just breaking the law on the Sabbath. He is now so excited about being healed, he's rubbing it in everybody's faces. He runs to the religious people in the temple. He's like, look at me. You knew me as the crippled man. I'm not him anymore. Something has changed in this guy's heart. Jesus says, now you are well. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Something worse? What's worse than being crippled for 38 years? Jesus says, oh, there's something worse. There's something eternally worse. 
And it seems here like Jesus changed topics, right? What does my sinning have anything to do with my healing? You, you healed me. Why are you saying anything about sinning? How are those two things connected? Remember when the man is lowered through the roof to Jesus and Jesus heals the man? What does Jesus say to the man before he heals him? He says, your sins are forgiven. And all his friends who've just lowered him through the roof, they're like, whoa, we didn't lower him through the roof so that you could forgive his sins. We lowered him through the roof so that you'd heal his body. That's not what you need. What you need that is much more valuable than your body to be healed is for your sins to be forgiven so that something worse doesn't even happen to you. This is the prescription that Jesus is giving to him, even though it's a solution to a problem that he didn't even know he had. And that is because sin causes pain to people that Jesus loves. See, when sin entered the world, all kinds of pain entered the world through it. What the example that we're given in the Genesis story is that now the women will hurt in childbirth because sin has entered the world. Well, what does childbirth, why does childbirth and pain in childbirth have anything to do with sin? He's saying sin causes pain. If you are experiencing pain in your life, it is sin's fault. Whether it's your sin or somebody else's sin or Adam and Eve's sin, if you are hurting, it is sin's fault. So God hates sin because sin hurts you and God hates sin because sin hurts the people around you. So stop sinning. Remove not just the physical ailment that you wanted to be healed of, but remove all pain from your life. Because when we create a hierarchy of sins, a list of sins that we then follow and become legalistic followers of this law and start feeling good about ourselves, then we've actually just dumbed down what God actually intends for us. See, God gave them a list of rules that he was wanting, hoping them to build their society on. Instead, they started following it and feeling good about themselves. God's intention was not for us to see the list and fulfill the list. That's why when Jesus comes to earth, he starts saying like, whoa, 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 you're not good. If you've ever lusted, you've committed adultery. If you've ever hated, you've murdered. He's like, you're not good. You're not even getting close. The standard is way too high. You could never be good. Sin is doing anything outside of God's will for your life. Because anything outside of God's will is going to cause pain. Don't create a list and then follow it and think you're good. Jesus didn't want this guy to be able to walk, but then live a miserable life. Jesus wanted to make this guy whole. Bigger picture. Beyond just now your legs work. Earlier, we read in John 5, 6 that, that after Jesus got, heals this guy, he says he was going to make him well. But the actual Greek word that Jesus used for well was hygiene. And this word doesn't just mean physically well. This word means whole. That would be a better translation. Do you want to be made whole? In other words, Jesus was asking this guy if he wanted everything, not just that physical ailment, do you want to be made whole? 
And we believe that this is the healing that salvation brings to our lives. It doesn't just fix the little problem that we're focused on and hoping that God will fix. Yes, it will forgive your sins. But then also we believe that a sanctification process happens and it's a journey by which God continually creates, recreates you and makes you into the person that he created you to be. He draws you closer to him and he makes you whole. Jesus wants to make you whole. A terrible idea that is destroying lives right now is this terrible idea that people don't change. We've just kind of told society that we should accept people the way they are. That we should celebrate people as they are because that's how God made them and so we shouldn't want them to change. Not only is that just logically and scientifically totally ignorant, but it's also incredibly depressing. Wait, I'm stuck this way? Like, I just have to see how I am and expect that I can never grow, I can never improve, I can never change. I'm stuck this way? To which Jesus said, no. You're not stuck by the pool. You're not stuck on the mat. Jesus will heal you. Jesus will make you whole. But the world doesn't like this solution. Because in order for, you, for him to make you whole, you have to follow him. You have to surrender to his plan. You have to surrender to his idea to which the world says, no, let's just say we're all stuck this way because there's no way we're following him. There's no way we're not going, we're going to call him Lord rather than calling ourselves Lord. Because the big problem for us in our desire to change comes when we recognize that we can't change ourselves. So from this perspective, the world's right. If it's up to you to change you, then you're stuck that way. In any meaningful, lasting way I'm talking about. No, you need Jesus to change you. If you want to become who you're supposed to become, then you have to surrender to the one who created you to become it. My family moved last year and uh, I needed to have my new address on my driver's license. So how did I have to do it? I took a Sharpie and I crossed out my old address and I wrote the new one on there. Did it. Boom. Got my, ad no. I needed somebody else. I had to go to YDOT and say, I need some help here. Could you change my driver's license? We cannot change ourselves. We desperately need Jesus. Because every time we try to change ourselves, we just end up making things worse. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the rest of this, all this wholeness will be added to you. But what does seeking him first do? That's an identity change. Wait, I'm not seeking me first? Th this means I don't get to seek my pleasure first, my desires first, my ideas first, my plan for life first? I've got I've to put him above me? That's a total identity change. Because this world has taught me how to have pride and, and my desires for me and, and my, my desires define me. That's who I am. No, he is the creator. He is the owner. You can deny it, but it's true. 
If your goal for you in life is to be rich, then you may be rich someday, but you will be miserably rich. You will be rich and depressed. If your big plan for you is to someday be sober, then you will get sober and you will be miserable. You'll be miserable and sober, but you'll be miserable. Jesus says, if you want real, lasting, good change for your life, the way it happens, if you seek first the one who created you, if you seek first God's kingdom. And what is God's kingdom? It's his reign. It's his lordship. That's his kingdom. Surrender to it. And when you do, he will give you what you need. He will give you what is right, what is good. He will make you whole. It's why we say Jesus will make your life better and he'll make you better at life. That doesn't mean you're getting what you want, but you're getting what's good. You're getting wholeness, goodness, truth, beauty. If you want to know where Jesus is, look for a place that has all three of those. Not a place where everybody's having all their desires fulfilled, but where goodness is happening. Someone here today has given up. You want to change. You wanted things to get better, but you tried, you tried, you tried, and it just wasn't working. Today, you need to know that God is not done with you. God has not given up for you. He created you for a purpose, and if you have not reached that purpose, he is not done with you. You are only going to become the person that God created you to be if you seek him. If you ask him, what did you create me to be? Create me to be. What did you what is your purpose for my life? We can't change ourselves until we recognize that our entire identity has changed. It's your identity that needs to change. It is who is Lord of your life? Is it you or is it him? Who are you? You are a child of the king. You are a child of God. That's who you are. You're not going to change by just trying harder with your current identity. In order to change, you have to think about your identity. You are a child of God. Don't start by thinking what you want, the details of your life that you want changed. Start by thinking about who you are. We do what we do because of what we think about ourselves. At our core, our actions follow our identity. This guy at the pool, Jesus is asking him, are you ready for your identity to change? That's the big question. Are, are you too caught up in this victimhood mentality? Do you enjoy being a beggar? Is this the life that you're choosing for? Or you want, do you want to be made whole? If you've ever wondered why people who have been abused go back to their abusers, it's not because they like to be abused, but it's because they see themselves as victims of abuse. That is who they are. That is their identity, and they need to be set free, not from that action, not from that scenario. They need to be set free from that identity. 
see yourself as a child of God. Seek him first. And will it require you to do some things that you don't want to do because you're following him rather than yourself? Yes. Is it going to require you to give up some things that you don't want to give up? Yes. Because he wants to lead you out of the pain and into something good. He wants to lead you away from sin and something healthy and whole for your life. Because he has a plan for you and it is so much better than your plan. It's a gift. Not a law, not rules, not requirements, a gift for you. God is not done with you yet. So seek him first. If you want to pray with somebody after the service today, we'll be standing up here by the stage. We'd love to pray with you and have a conversation about some next steps that you can take, about how you can pick up your mat and follow him. God, I thank you that you are doing in lives what we cannot do in our own. I pray that we will more fully surrender to you and allow you to change us, allow you to sanctify us and make us new. God, I pray for anybody today who is right now trying to find the courage to step out, to stand up, to pick up their mat and follow you. I pray that right now your Holy Spirit will draw them will lead them. I thank you that you are doing what I cannot. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen.